0: Hi, this is J.P. Mac, and welcome to Liberty ReLearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, welcome to the last day of summer in the year 2020. Hope you enjoyed your summer, and looks like it's going to be a pretty exciting fall. This is a fall that will be made... More interesting, um, because of the recent death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died on Friday the 18th, Um, she was well-respected by both sides. Justice Antonin Scalia referred to her as his little buddy, Um, so any friend of... Scalia's would be a friend of mine, uh, even if I don't agree necessarily with uh, most of their rulings and their judicial philosophy. You can still respect the person. So as you can imagine, this being an election year, uh, this further complicates matters um, because, of course, if uh, there were some matter that would have to be uh, heard around the election uh like say uh some disputed vote in some state uh such as happened in the year 2000 uh, the in the 2000 election uh with gore versus bush um you know that that went all the way up to the supreme court and uh if that something like that were to happen this time uh without uh Ginsburg's seat being filled, we would have a pretty evenly split court. And so, if, if for those of you who maybe not uh, follow the Supreme Court that closely, the, the Supreme Court is pretty evenly split. You have Justice Roberts being the swing vote on most of the issues that are being decided, uh, five to four. Of course, there's a whole lot of five to four uh, rulings being held down. And so what the loss of Ginsburg does effectively is it loses a liberal vote on the court. Um, That would be, I mean, fine um, from the conservative libertarian point of view. Uh, But really, you want to have a definitive ruling, again, should there be a repeat of the 2000 election, which most people would consider to be highly highly likely. It's very likely that some aspect of this year's election will be determined in the Supreme Court, and you'd like to have the full complement of justices. Because, of course, Justice Roberts, really, he's not, uh, even though he was appointed by a Republican president, he's not really a reliable uh, constitutionalist, uh, textualist vote. Uh, he's not really conservative. He may be slightly right of center, but uh, I don't think any in any stretch of the imagination you could call Justice Roberts... Uh, Conservative justice—the way that um, Scalia was, and that in in the way that uh, Kavanaugh is, and Thomas are—and so while it would seem to be a good thing that there are four reliable votes for on the liberal side and four on the conservative side, that's likely to result in a tie, uh, should anything go before the Supreme Court between now and the time that Ginsburg's seat is filled. So, of course, what you'd get, um, and Trump has put out his list of, his short list of uh, possible Supreme Court nominees. He's saying he wants to uh, appoint a woman to Ginsburg's post. So he uh replace a woman with a woman uh, if he has his way and if, if his plan goes to fruition. And, of course, that would tilt the court to the right. That would uh, make it a conservative-leaning court. And, of course, the Democrats, who are really counting on Supreme Court fights to uh, win the election... Um, or at least uh, they're counting on their support. If if it's needed to to ensure a Biden victory, uh, they the last thing they want is a conservative leaning Supreme Court. Now, from the Democrats' point of view, uh, say if Biden were to win and he was to have the power to nominate or uh, placement for Ginsburg, well, that would that would not be uh really, any net game for him. Uh, it would be simply replacing one liberal for another uh, another liberal. So that would be no net game in the balance of the court. Now, on the other hand, if uh, Trump wins or if Trump can somehow get uh, someone appointed to the Supreme Court uh, before the election or, or before the end of his term, however the case may be, that would be, that would sway the court, and it would be a right-leaning, more conservative Supreme Court, and of course the uh, the Democrats' mo in the past has been to use the court uh, when they see fit as uh, a kind of uh, second legislative branch, uh, one that uh, legislates from the bench. Um, so if the Democrats, um, were able to, uh, get this appointment, and of course if Biden were to win, he would appoint not just a replacement for Ginsburg, uh, he would likely have at least one more appointment that he could do, probably two. Uh, and surely, one of those would have to be uh, one of the more conservative-leaning justices. And so a conservative or a, a Biden victory would pretty much ensure eventually uh, a left-leaning court, and it would be a left-leaning Supreme Court for many years. What a left-leaning court, in effect, would do is, um, they would basically follow the judicial philosophy. Uh, It's called uh, the Living Constitution. And the United States, under a Living Constitution doctrine in the Supreme Court, basically means that the Constitution would mean whatever the majority needs it to mean. Okay, so, um, you know, the Constitution is supposed to be a... As Scalia would say, a a dead document, as you can't change it. You cannot uh, change the meaning from beyond what its founders or its framers intended, what the original intention behind uh, the people who the framers of the Constitution wrote. And there's there's no adopting. Um, the meaning of words and phrases to what may be their uh, 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 contemporary meaning. Um, The idea of a textualist means that the justices would have to uh, decide upon what the court meant or what the law or what the Constitution meant at the time and not what it may mean now. And so, of course, that's a big deal. And, of course, you, you probably remember what happened with the Kavanaugh appointment, how bitterly they fought that. And that was just to uh, maintain uh one-for-one switch for, you know, one conservative-leaning justice for another conservative justice. Uh, this time... Uh, a Trump appointee would tilt the court in the direction of the conservatives. And so the Democrats' belief in judicial activism and legislating from the bench, um, that's one of their chief tools. And you know if they cannot win the battle of the legislation, uh, the battle of ideas in the Congress... Then what their alternative is to is to shape laws uh, from the bench, which is the antithesis of what an originalist or textualist uh, justice would do, as will probably be one of any of the ones that Trump has on his list, his short list. So look on a big fight for that. Uh, Of course, the Republicans really have to um, try and get a Supreme Court justice nominated before the election uh, in case, like I said, in case there's some sort of challenge, uh, like in 2000 that goes to the Supreme Court, that could uh, determine the uh, results of the election. So, even though four years ago, uh, when there was a vacancy on the Supreme Court, uh, you remember the uh, Republican Senate under Mitch McConnell, uh, he did not want to hear any um, appointments. He want, didn't want to schedule any appointment hearings for uh, President Obama's nominee. he uh, was uh, Merrick Garland, who was being... Touted as a centrist, but McConnell refused to basically entertain the uh, the notion of Garland being appointed. So uh, he he said that we should put it off until after the election of twenty sixteen, and that's eventually what happened. Um, you know the. Uh, the election you know trump won the election and then uh then the uh the vacancy was settled so even though that 4 years ago the republicans were saying you know no new supreme court appointees uh, in an election year um you have to remember in 2016 we were going to have a new person as president, regardless of which party won uh, because Obama had served two terms, he'd served his eight years, and so we were going to have a new president after the election, no matter what happened um, and of course, you know history shows that Hillary lost, and then the uh whatever uh nominees that she would have appointed. You know, just went away and Trump won. Uh, He got his appointment that he wanted. And of course, four years later, um, naturally, the Democrats are uh, crying hypocrisy against uh, Senate Leader McConnell um, for going. He's already said he wants to go ahead uh, with uh, trying to appoint a new justice. And as you can imagine, the Democrats are crying for hypocrisy. Um but if you you know, Mitch McConnell and others will argue that this year is different because A, like I said, there's there's a possibility of having the same person who's in the White House uh be elected again. That was not the case four years ago. We were gonna have a new president regardless uh, and then the other thing is that you know at the time the Senate was in Republican hands and so was not um, you know they did not want to vote for um, any appointee of Obama's so you had the White House and the Senate in you know controlled by two different parties uh, this time around they're controlled by the same party and that is what uh, Mitch McConnell and others are saying is the main difference that now this time you know the, uh, the person in the White House is the same party as the leader of the Senate and so that's what he's saying and of course um, it remains to be seen what will actually happen uh, of course you have uh people on the left already uh threatening uh civil unrest um, uh, um, riots presumably and more violence if if the uh republicans go ahead with a nomination so i think we're already seeing hints uh that the left you know if not the the democrats specifically the left in general uh has decided to use civil unrest as a a bargaining chip to gain leverage over the appointment process. So we'll see what happens with that. Of course, you know, it's only 40-odd days as I speak until the election. And so really, I mean, setting all politics aside, logistically, that's going to be a huge challenge I think that this would have to be uh, the record for the quickest appointment of a Supreme Court judge. So really, just logistically, it's going to be a challenge, even without all of the um, uh, drama that uh, the left might uh, decide to cause around the appointment process. So we'll be looking at that. This is something important. Um, Probably we'll... Dedicate like an entire show, possibly, entire broadcast um, to this one subject. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen. We'll hear more in the coming days and weeks what happens. But the, I think the Democrats and the Republicans both know how important this, import, this is for their side. And so both. Uh, You can expect to dig in and entrench and uh, go with their side. There's really nothing, I don't know if there's anything really that can stop the appointment of a uh, Trump's pick, at least not constitutionally. So it'll be interesting to see what Democrats are willing to do to stop it from happening. Okay, uh, moving on to another topic here. Uh, for those of you who have been following the podcast for a little while now, uh, you may remember I talked about how uh, Biden, if he's elected, could just jump right in and basically end the COVID-19 um, situation as a crisis uh, by basically doing nothing. Uh, just by basically colluding to change the uh, public's perception through the media and through the senators. Um, so just to recap, uh, what I mentioned there is that Biden, uh, should he be elected president, uh, of course he's already uh, has been saying that uh, President Trump has done nothing and uh, all of the deaths from COVID-19 could have been prevented uh, had Trump acted differently or earlier. Of course, that's ridiculous, and we'll go into why that's ridiculous uh, in a little while. But just concentrating on uh, what a President Biden might do, um... He, of course, you know, as, I, as I've mentioned before, uh, he could easily collude with a sympathetic media to include social media and to uh, include the blue state governors and simply say, hey, we're going to change our emphasis from cases to hospitalizations and deaths which, by the way, is where they properly should be, but currently aren't, with the media, of course, not being in Trump's favor. But presumably with a more compliant media for Biden, uh, they'd be more willing to um, do Biden's bidding or anticipate his wishes. So that's one thing. Uh, Another thing that he could do... Is uh, simply um, change the number of positive cases that happen. Uh, the way that he would do this would be ch- to change the sensitivity of the test, what's well, called the uh, PCR test that checks for um, the virus in people's system, and this according to a New York Times article from August 29th of this year. Um, the article says, your coronavirus test is positive. Maybe it shouldn't be. Uh, and the article goes on to describe the process. Um, it's going to quote an excerpt from here uh, from the New York Times article. It says the PCR test amplifies genetic matter from the virus in cycles. And the fewer the cycles required, the greater the amount of virus or viral, viral load. And uh, what that means is that the, the tests are set to a certain resolution, kind of comparable, almost to uh, setting a microscope to a different uh, magnification. And of course, the the more you magnify an object under a microscope, you know, the more details you can see. So it's sort of the same idea uh, with how they they do the um, the testing were, they, they put it through uh, many cycles. So, as many as uh, 40 cycles did um, this is keep uh, amping up the uh, resolution of the test until they believe that the virus can be detected. So, continuing on uh, with the quote from the article. Uh, The greater the viral viral load, the more likely the patient is to be contagious. The number of amplification cycles needed to find the virus, called the cycle threshold, is never included in the results sent to doctors and coronavirus patients, although it could tell them how infectious the patients are. Further down in the article, it says, one solution would be to adjust the cycle threshold used now to decide that a patient is infected. Most tests set the limit at 40, a few at 37. This means that you are positive for the coronavirus if the test process requires up to 40 cycles or 37 to to detect the virus. Tests with thresholds so high may detect not just live virus, but also genetic fragments, leftovers from infection that pose no particular risk, akin to uh, finding hair in a a room uh, lard, akin to finding a hair in a room long after a person has left. Uh, Dr. Mina, I guess that is their source that they're quoting said. Uh, It goes on to say, Any test with a cycle threshold above 35 is too sensitive, agreed Juliet Morrison, a virologist at the University of California, Riverside. I'm shocked that people would think that 40 could represent a positive, she said. A more reasonable cutoff would be 30 to 35, she added. Dr. Mina said he would set the figure at 30 or even less. This would mean the amount of genetic material in a patient's sample would have to be 100-fold to 10,000-fold, that of the current standard for the test to return a positive result, at least one worth acting on. Okay, so basically what this is saying is... The higher the resolution of the test, the higher the amplification of the test, the more likely you are to see traces of the virus that are harmless. So if you have to go, for instance, all the way up to uh, 40 amplifications, you are the, the uh, person doing the test, the doctor, is seeing traces of the virus, um, but it would not be enough to be contagious um, because it would not represent enough of a viral load in the contaminated person for them to be contagious. Uh, You know, it may be that they only encountered a slight trace of the virus or maybe they encountered, uh, encountered a trace of the virus long ago but it was never enough to make the person sick. And of course, um, you know, all the data suggests uh, right now that there's an incredible amount of what you can consider to be false positives. Um, These are people who really don't have enough of the virus in their system to be contagious. Um, But, it doesn't matter. Someone who has any trace of the virus is being counted as positive, and so the test does not differentiate between people with enough of the virus in their system to be contagious and not. It's just a binary option, a yes or no option. And so, uh, what this, what these experts are presuming, is that. There a lot of the tests that are uh, coming out positive may may be technically positive for some traces of the virus, but it's not enough to say that the person is contagious. And after all, the whole idea of the lockdowns and the masks and everything is to limit uh, the amount of contagious people out there. Uh, particularly with the mass, the idea is that there are a lot of asymptomatic spreaders of the, the disease out there, um, and but some experts dispute just how how much these asymptomatic spreaders actually um, contribute to overall spread of the disease, and I think that. Uh, and plus nowadays, if you get any kind of positive test, usually that means that you're going to be quarantined for two weeks, which means you're going to miss work. Uh, in some cases that could be, uh, missing work unpaid. And, but either way, the product- productivity is down. Your, your company loses a person for two weeks, um, So, you know, that it's very important that to some people to say, you know, you've been, maybe have been exposed to a trace amount of the virus, but you are not contagious, uh, you're okay to work. Really, that's basically what this means is, is who is okay to work and who is not based upon the test. And so that's like a really important, thing, Um, I think that makes a huge difference Um, and so why is this important, Uh, getting back to um, a potential Biden presidency who has said that on the word of uh, a scientist presumably could be only one scientist saying this to him that he would lock down the entire country Of course, if you want to see how well that works, you can just uh, Google uh, COVID lockdown, Victoria, Australia, and you can see how well the Australians like their lockdown Um, answer is not very much. But getting back to President Biden, how he could uh, kind of, I would say, with a sleight of hand, create the illusion that the crisis... Has gone away whenever it's convenient to him. Uh, this is one thing he could do. He could instruct the doctors or, or the FDA or, her, or CDC or whoever he needs to not to count the viruses um, over a certain threshold as positive. And that in itself could drastically reduce the amount of cases. And of course, that the cases are what the Democrats um, and the more liberal politicians want you to focus on. Of course, the reality is the only thing that matters is how many people are hospitalized and how many people die. Uh, it's almost irrelevant how much how many people have uh, come up positive if they're not taxing. The hospital system and if they're not getting sick enough to die um, so the number of cases is a red herring that they use um, to make the argument for more control over our lives more lockdowns more uh, draconian measures more uh, mask mandates and such and like I said uh, it only take him uh, maybe conferring including with the CDC or whatever powers that he would need to within the government. Uh, and, of course, he would have the media spread the word and the state governors that, um, so not only to move the attention from uh, virus or from from cases to deaths and hospitalizations but also to move the numbers down arbitrarily on the number of cases so basically with the flip of a switch he could drastically re- reduce the number of cases uh, that would be and that would be uh, totally honest in the sense that you know those cases are real numbers it would be just using a much uh, different criteria to determine what constitutes a positive COVID case and not. Now, of course, you may be asking yourself, well, well, if this is all true, I mean, this is coming from the New York Times, which is not exactly a conservative new, news source reporting this. Now, uh, Why doesn't Trump do this? Uh, I think the answer is... Uh, Unfortunately, probably uh, he does not have enough influence over the CDC or the people he needs to have influence over to uh, reduce the threshold. Uh, It's possible that his the people who are in his years, such as Dr. Uh, Fauci, uh, may not be bringing this up as uh, something that he needs to look at. So it could be that simply that Trump is not aware of how uh, changing the threshold for the amplification of the, the, the COVID test would drastically change the number of cases being reported. I think um, a President Biden would have an easier time to do this. If, you know, he would have the media on his side. Uh, I guess he would have whatever, you know, person uh, in the CDC or, or uh, the FDA that he needs, he could appoint the person that he likes that could accomplish this uh, through the government bureaucracy. So, I, you know, could be that there is a deep state, even when it concerns... The uh, medical bureaucracy of this country. And on that same subject, uh, what Biden might do to create the illusion, should he see fit, that the crisis is over, uh, he could simply uh, pull his strings and collude with sympathetic people um, in media, particularly uh, in social media. Um, your Facebook or Twitter or Google that are currently censoring anything that does go that doesn't uh, follow the party line. He could, uh, I'm sure, he could convince them to loosen up on their restrictions and to allow more positive messages, such as uh, ones about hydroxychloroquine and other treatments and other information that would seem to counter what the narrative is coming from, uh, particularly the left these days and the Democrats these days around COVID-19. He could get all of these uh, restrictions from Facebook and Twitter lifted, and that would give the appearance that we've you know turned the tide on this disease just by creating the illusion that there's more good news, when in fact, the fact would be that he's only, he would only be allowing more good news to be published, not that there isn't more good news total, but he could create the illusion, and I'm sure that um, uh, there's a sufficient amount of the public that would buy into that, Um, and they probably would not even realize. That they're being manipulated from, uh, that their Twitter feeds or their Facebook feeds or their Google searches, um, you know, all of a sudden you you'd see this data uh, coming through that's always been there, always been available. Or theory people have always spoken up. Now you can hear their voice, and now it it would seem like things are are getting better. When in fact Nothing has really changed. So that would be something to look out for uh, in the event of a Biden presidency. Uh, I would just be aware that he would be, you know, if it, I think at some point he would see fit to uh, reduce the crisis. Even though the the blue states love a crisis, um, they love the control, they think that they can use this COVID crisis as a means of creating their blue state utopia. And of course, with Biden as president, they would extend that to uh, a blue country utopia. Um, But I think Biden would eventually have to declare the uh, crisis over. And I think it's very likely that he would use these means um, having done nothing in particular, uh, you know, no, no approval of new drugs or anything like that. Plus the fact that he would be gaining power right at the very decline when we probably have a, a vaccine anyhow. Um, so he could, you know, manipulate uh, popular sentiment on that subject. But uh, speaking of Biden and covid Uh, He is now claiming that uh, Donald Trump is responsible for all of the COVID deaths in the country. Uh, He made a statement uh, recently where he says, and this is a direct clue, uh, if the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people. I'm not making this up. Just look at the data. And that's something that Joe Biden said on September 17th. Even PolitiFact uh, fact-checked him and found that to be false. Now, this, of course, is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous claim. Uh, But let's take a look. Um, Let's take a look at why this is ridiculous, even though... Because it's important to understand, not just to say that it's a ridiculous claim, but to really understand why and be able to express why. Um, so let's let's look, at his, let's look at his claim at face value. Okay, he's saying that there would be zero deaths in the U.S. from COVID. Um, presumably, you know, okay, let's give him some slack and say that maybe there would be a few thousand, maybe it would take some time to implement whatever he says he would implement or what what should have been done in retrospect, you know, hindsight being 2020 and all. If he were, if Trump had done what uh, Biden supposes he should have done, which is funny because he never says, really, what Trump should have or could have done that would have made the difference. He, he's never um, willing to talk about exactly what those changes would have been. That, that just that the fact we're just supposed to have accept the fact that Trump didn't do things in the beginning and that he should have. Um, but let's even give him you know a few you know maybe a thousand deaths before whatever. Steps were would be implemented. Okay. So, if that were true, let's think about it. Um, He would have to have taken a different approach than virtually every other country on the face of the earth that had COVID at that time. I'm talking about uh, January, February time frame. Okay. So he would have to have done something better than what Germany had did, uh, better, of course, than what Italy had did, or whatever uh, country has, in Europe has done the best. Of course, you know, we can eliminate China from this, this, this discussion. But focusing on Europe, which was, which was hard, hard hit at the time also, In the beginning of this, Um, he would have to have performed better than the best uh, performing country in, in light of COVID that there was, whatever country that was. I don't know if that's Germany or maybe Luxembourg or something like that or Switzerland. But anyway, he would to achieve zero deaths, which is what Biden is insinuating. He would have to have something done something different, because logically, if he did only equal to the best that, uh, say, Germany did, uh, he would get results comparable, you would imagine, to what Germany got, whatever their uh, death rate per 100,000. That's what our death rate would be, or, or something in the ballpark. Uh, it would not be zero. See, so he would have to have... So you can eliminate anything that anybody in Europe or any, any country in the world has done at that time um, because it just didn't work. It didn't, it didn't pan out to happen. I mean, it didn't result in zero deaths. Most of the countries in Europe, um, I'm sure, have thousands if not tens of thousands of deaths depending on the size of the country. And, of course, you know, people will say New Zealand. Well, New Zealand is kind of the exception that proves the rule. Uh, Let's look at them. They're extremely isolated as a country. They're basically, I would say, the most isolated geographically of all of the uh, Western-style democracies democracies on Earth. Uh, They're an island way out in the Pacific Ocean. Um, closer to Australia, uh, certainly than to us, and they have a small population compared to us. Uh, they don't have a lot of, uh, of really a high, high volume or or high population density in any part of their country. Really, they don't have the urban population that. Uh, we have as a country or or any of any European country has so you can kind of eliminate New Zealand as an outlier um, they're except they're the exception that proves the rule that you know you have an island geographically isolated it's very easy to cut off uh, travel to that country from to and from any other country uh, and they don't have a large. Tourist base or or migrant worker base, as a country such as Italy did. Um, there were a huge amount of uh, Chinese from the Wuhan Wuhan district of China who were working and and supporting the fashion industry in northern Italy, and of course that's why. What's one of the reasons why Italy got hit so hard in the beginning? But New Zealand had none of that. So that's not something that that you can really, um, you can't really base your uh, decision-making process on what uh, New Zealand did. And, of course, they locked down their whole capital city after having, like, four positive cases in several months. So they they went, you know, straight to lockdown and things like that. And, of course, uh, Democrats and others on the left um, like to talk about South Korea and what they did. Uh, Of course, South Korea has a a completely different culture in their country. They're used to dealing, unfortunately, with uh, diseases such as this, with SARS um, and other diseases. That came from China and that originated from uh, China or other parts of Asia, simply because they have more experience in dealing with the sort of thing. And couple that with uh, cultural differences, that makes you know certain dracon- measures that seem draconian to a liberal democracy such as the United States. Um, there's some of the things that were done by uh, South Korea were really, I mean, for for most intents and purposes, culturally impossible. So those are examples uh, that the left likes to use as examples of what to follow. Uh, But again, you have South Korea uh, isolated, it's only neighbor as far as I know, uh, is North Korea to the to the north they're a, they're a peninsula in Asia um, they obviously have a large trading with uh, other countries such as Japan but they don't have a you know they don't have any roads going you know any borders except for North Korea if my geography serves so, as I mentioned, uh, Vice President Biden, although he's quick to, you know, play Monday morning quarterback and, you know, operate from the benefit of hindsight, what we could have done, uh, obviously, at the time in the January, February time timeframe, uh, a lot was still unknown about the virus. We were still getting a lot of disinformation. From the WHO and from China, we could not send our scientists to China to help study the virus. Uh, there was a lot of things that were was holding up our response to the virus. I mean, really, objectively, I would say that the only thing that you could blame Trump on at that time would be the uh, CDC response. Um, they, they did kind of bungle... The initial testing, uh, the rollout of the testing, which Trump, you know, as soon as he saw what the problem was, uh, he turned over the ability to create tests to the private, se- private sector. And they got the job done where the uh, federal bureaucracy failed. So, although you can, you know, since he controls the CDC, you can blame him for that. Uh, it's really it was really a built-in bureaucratic failure, um, which is unlikely that any president would have been ha- had the foresight to go into. Uh, but really as far as what might be fair to criticize a president, that's really the only thing because uh, again, Uh, You know, we have the benefit of hindsight now. It's so easy to play Monday morning quarterback. And I think that's what uh, Biden is engaging in because he won't say what he would have done. He keeps saying uh, that the president needs to do this and president needs to do that. Most of the time when he says these things, the president has already done those things. Or is in the, in the midst of doing those things, so you know the you know President Vice President Biden uh, is unaware uh, apparently of what uh, the Trump administration is actually doing. Uh, I don't even know if he you know it would almost seem like he's completely in the dark about what President Trump is doing or else he would not be claiming that Trump is doing absolutely nothing. He didn't do nothing for two weeks. That's the mantra being repeated by the Biden campaign about what Trump did, which, of course, is completely false. But, so what would be Biden's plan? Well, we don't know. Uh, Maybe we'll find out in the debate coming up. But as far as we can tell, he would lock down the country. He said that on the word of Possibly a single doctor, we don't know. Uh, And, of course, he said that there would be a national mask mandate, uh, regardless of the efficacy of masks, regardless of the need in a particular state or community of masks, he would do a a national mandate. Because that's something that he can say would make a difference. Um, But if a state such as South Dakota has virtually no cases of, of a virus, um, what's a mask going to do? A mask, putting a mask on a perf- perfectly healthy person who's not contagious, not even exposed to the virus, that, that in itself does more harm than good. Um, so, you know, you have to look at it that way. You know, if you put a mask on a healthy person... It's not contagious. And you force them to wear a mask for months on end every time they go out in public. Um, that logically, I think it would follow that would have negative health consequences on that individual um, that would outweigh um, the consequent, the positive, whatever positive would help. You know, if, if you have no COVID in your system, doing a mask does need nothing. Okay, it's something that's a simple fact that's easily forgotten by politicians. So what would he do? Uh, As far as I tell, he would know he's talked about lockdowns Um, right now. They have a lockdown in uh, the state of Victoria, Australia, where Melbourne is. In that part of the country, it's the strictest lockdown anywhere on the planet. Um, and of course, the citizens of Melbourne are, are, or citizens of the state of Victoria, including Melbourne, are starting to rebel against this overly severe measure that's um, quite understandably it's crippling their economy. Uh, Just like here, lots of people are being forced out to work. And, of course, Australia, I don't think, has quite the backup fiscally as the United States. They don't have the built-in cushion for a disaster necessarily as the United States. But even if they do, even if it is greater, it's still a huge burden on the economy of not just that particular state, but arguably the entire country. Um, You know, it's like losing the entire um, economy of California in the United States. And, of course, that has really, I mean, you can see there's severe human rights abuses, in my opinion, going on in that part of Australia. Um, You have the case of, you know, the one pregnant woman who was arrested in front of her kids uh, for merely posting on Facebook uh, suggesting, making a post suggesting that they should get together, people should gather uh, in their, whatever their public square is in her city and just demonstrate against the lockdown measures she was Arrested for that. And then you have the case, uh, I believe it's in another state called Queensland, uh, with similar lockdown measures apparently. They're, they've cut off uh, travel dates of their country and theirs. Uh, this resulted in at least one case of uh, a young lady who, I believe her mother had died. Um, She was sick, and she could not visit her her, who had recently died. She could not um, really, I think they managed to let her have a glimpse of the funeral or the service or something like that. But, of course, um, anybody who was unfortunate to lose a loved one during this COVID crisis, um, would tell you that like such uh, draconian measures are, I think, borderline on uh, sadistic, let alone uh, being just wrong and unnecessary. And of course, you know, there's the freedom of press. Uh, people are going to these demonstrations. Um, You know, people, I think to their credit in Australia, are going out despite the warnings against being arrested. And they're going out these demonstrations. And you have members of the free press out there, independent press, covering these demonstrations. And they're being arrested for their efforts, um, even though they have work permits. Um, So that's... Some very worrisome things going on in Australia, and I really encourage you to follow what's going on there because I believe that is our best glimpse into uh, the world in or the United States in a Biden presidency under a Biden presidency. Uh, I think you know if you want to see what happens here, particularly with regards to COVID nineteen. Um, just look what hap- what's happening in Australia. So oh, I encourage you to as much as possible follow what's happening there because what happens there, I think, could easily happen here. And so I think we're going to leave it on at there for now. Uh, we'll, we'll, of course, have more um, coverage, I'm sure, of the Supreme Court battle and the filling of the vacancy for uh, Justice Ginsburg. Uh, And, of course, uh, um, as more as is learned about the uh, election in November, um, is learned that we'll go over that, too. Um, There's plenty of things I mentioned last week. The Transition Integrity Project that basically said that they, there will be violence even in the event of a comfortable Trump win. Um, they will attempt to use civil unrest and um, court proceedings, or whatever they can do to cause trouble. To try and gain some sort of uh, leverage to make demands. They're, they want to make demands even if they lose the election in, in November. Um, they, they, they would like to, uh, cause so much chaos in the streets and in the courts that, uh, they'll be able to make demands like making DC and Puerto Rico states, which of course would give them, uh, basically instant, uh, control of the Senate with four new senators, uh, who would almost assuredly be Democrats and they would, of course, want to abolish the electoral college so that you know they basically making a vote a vote stolen in one state equal to a vote vote stolen in any state, and also have the coastal elites basically control the country from New York and Los Angeles. That's their basic reasoning behind uh, abolishing the electoral college. So that's something I'm sure we'll be talking about, uh, as the weeks go on. And as the election gets closer in, probably even past the election, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of crisis of some sort, unfortunately. So I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate you listening as always. Uh, please follow us on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, uh, Follow me, J.P. Mac, on Parlor. Um, trying to, I think, uh, increase our presence there. Um, because we're not on Twitter. I never believed and fell for the Twitter line. Um, and just, you know, why bother being censored? And, and same thing with YouTube. You know, you're going to be demonetized uh, for... For just speaking the truth or an honest opinion, so but you know getting more involved with Parlor. I hope you are on Parlor, not just for me, but for the sake of being able to express yourself more freely. Uh, you know, exercise your free amendment rights. I think that's what it's all about. I also, follow us online at libertyrelearn.com and of course listen uh to future podcasts and past podcasts um, that are available this is the 21st episode so you have uh 20 episodes that you may choose from um seems to be uh there was one i did uh, saying that's okay to love america that's pretty popular and some of the very first ones I went over COVID-19, what I call it, the COVID-19 Bill of Rights. I think those are very popular. And I would especially encourage you, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, um, go back and listen to episode 20, uh, the one where I go in the great, greater detail about the uh, Transition in- Integrity Project. Uh, that's some very scary stuff. So, also, um, we'll be, uh, you know, come back next Monday when the when the podcast is available. Uh, and I appreciate you listening and tell a friend. I think uh, word of mouth is the best way to get word of this podcast out. The best advertisement is word of mouth and of course with in the age of cell phones you know you can just don't even have to open your mouth you can just forward your favorite episode to someone that uh, you might think might be interested in listening to it so go ahead and do that and if you would you know go on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on and give us four or five stars that would be great uh that would also help can't, get the word out in publicity all right, so thank you. Until next week, this is J.P. Mac. I hope you are healthy and happy, and I'll see you next week.